Good morning. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for leading us in Christmas carols and singing. Um, we are going after the benediction. Uh, Sue and Gigi and a little bit of Cindy have provided lots of food for us back there. One warning, the biscotti are, are biscotti, so they're hard. They're meant to be that way. They're to be dipped in coffee. We didn't want anyone to break their teeth. Sue the church. <laughs> so just to let you know. But we won't have a discussion time. We're just going to have a fellowship time. And just enjoy as Merry Christmas. Today is Christmas Eve. Um, last week, I am going to re-explain uh, uh, re- something. I, I talked about how, um, there, uh, how Isaiah 7, uh, chapter Chapter 7, verse 14, had a double fulfillment, and that's um, for to us, uh, oh, let's see. Ah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And I said that a double fulfillment. It happened right there in in Isaiah chapter 8, and then it happened again ultimately and completely in Jesus. Now, the word, real quickly, the word virgin has... Two meanings. Okay, the first one is the Virgin Mary virgin. And then the second one is simply a young woman. So in Isaiah, it was a young woman who had a child. And then, of course, Jesus, we know that story. And we're going to look at that today. So in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, first slide. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taking, taken of the entire Roman world. So there's this mass migration in the Roman world. I, people, think of, just think about this. Everybody says, and everyone went to their own town to register. If all of America <laughs> had to go back to their hometown, the town of their birth, their, where they're from. We think traffic is bad in the holidays today. <laughs> Don't know anything. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem in the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Going through the Christmas, trying to figure out which one do I do this year, you know, I got like two choices here, (laughs) and I'm going through them. What is striking and easy to miss is how often King David is mentioned in these stories, and even at last song, because Jesus is a descendant of King David, which makes him a king. Now, he's a very different king than King David. He is the ultimate king. And, and notice even here how he, he, Luke uses these threes. He is from the city of David, from the house of David, from the line of David. Jesus is, says that, as, First Noel, born 
is the king of Israel. Now, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus is often called the son of David. We, we see that after story after story, people calling him the son of David. And then Paul, in his epistles, two times when he does two of his most important summaries of the Gospels, and in a Romans 1, 1 through 5, and then in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, he says, he begins with saying, Jesus, the descendant of David. So, so that is really important, and we'll tuck that away for just a few minutes. Let's go to the next slide. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room, no guest room available for them. Now, I love Wednesday or Thursday morning at breakfast, Cindy was reading on her, um, you know, her social media feeds, and there was a discussion on one of them about if Joseph was from, if his family was the city of David, Bethlehem, and they went back to Bethlehem, the question that was asked on this feed was, why did none of his family members, his relatives, have them into the house? Because Bethlehem would have been filled with relatives. They may have been second and third cousins, three times removed kind of a deal. But many of his relatives would have lived there. Now, as she said that, I just went, yay. Because like all week I've been reading this, and I thought, this is exactly what I'm going to talk about as I went through it. And there's different answers, and it just doesn't tell us in the script here in the text. But I think, and I think we can imagine this, that they probably did stay with a relative. I think that's most likely. Now, we're used to it saying there was no room in the inn, right? I like this translation because I think it's more accurate. I know a few years ago, maybe three or four, I did an entire thing with pictures of archaeological digs and how the whole thing worked in Jerusalem with houses. And I'm going to do that again. I know I lost all of you then, so I do it again. <laughs> um, but don't think Verbo Vacation House here or, you know, the Marriott, but more of an old-fashioned bed and breakfast, where the family lived in the house and had a room that they rented out. That's exactly what the archaeology and history show us about Israel, that families would have a guest room. Now think about all these people coming into Bethlehem, all of them being some, many of them being related at least somewhere 
there can only be so much family there. And uh, Joseph and Mary are traveling, and Mary is 38, 39 weeks pregnant. You just aren't going to travel as fast because you're not in a car. You're walking. We don't know if she was on a donkey. Maybe she was, but you're going to go slower. And, and Joseph did not get on his Airbnb app and, and get his reservation or anything like that. And they show up, wherever this house is, and the guest room was full. The guest room probably had another family, a mom and a dad, and back then, six, eight, ten kids. And there would have been a room about half the size of my office. So there was literally no room in the end. We get this picture of a, a mean old innkeeper. There's no room here. Get out in the... That just wasn't the case. Now, this stable or whatever, you know, and I think I mentioned this a few times in the past. Think of it as a, a two-car attached garage. So they would have had a stable attached to the house, and, and archaeologists shows us all this, that when at nights that they had to, they would bring in some of the animals, maybe like a donkey, an ox. Sheep would have not been there because where were they? We know. They were out with the shepherds. And so this was kind of like a two-car garage only with a set of cars. We had a donkey and an ox or something of that nature. And so Mary has the baby there. And of course the manger is probably a feeding trough and all of that. So but this, so that's that. But also with this, it, this fits into a design pattern. And, and Jeff has mentioned this here already as he's gone through the singing and some of the songs were about that. That runs throughout the Bible. And it's this whole concept of kind of the last being first. And Jesus kind of coming down with the lowly and all of that kind of thing. And, if we go, and, and again, this ties us all the way back here to David. So if we think of David, the king, when God rejected Saul, the king, he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, who had, was it seven or eight sons? I forget. It was either seven or eight sons. And they were all there, and they gathered them together, and the old... Oldest passed by Samuel, and Samuel thought, surely God's going to anoint this one as king, and God said no. And they all went through, and in each one of Jesse's sons, God said no, and that was it. And Samuel said, are there no other sons? And he said, oh, I, I do have a youngest one, and he's out with the sheep. So David wasn't even invited by his dad to the most important day in the history of the family, into the house. He was the youngest and the least. And the story of Jesus is just, it's just this fulfillment of everything that God is and every way that God works. God had Christmas work out 
to teach us all this stuff about what it means to be God. There is another design pattern I'll, I'll just mention briefly, and you can research this more on your own. Is there, Bethlehem seems to have issues in the Bible. You know, you, you can read the stories, and it just seems to be issues. And, and there's, one, um, there's one story in, in the Old Testament that, that I would say outside of Passover... I believe is is the best depiction of the gospel in the Old Testament. And that's the story of Ruth. And what's really interesting about Ruth is, well, Ruth is mentioned where in the New Testament? In the genealogy, the birth of Jesus. But Naomi and her husband and her boys, two boys, there's a famine in Bethlehem. And they have to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Moab is a very bad place. You're not supposed to go there. But why did they have to do that? In a Jewish community, the people should have met their needs. So there's something wrong. There's something missing in Bethlehem. There's a lack of hospitality and there's a lack of grace. And so they go off and, and, you know, bad things happen when you leave the land and they leave the land and, and um, husband dies and her two sons die after marrying two Moabite women. And we've mentioned this, Moabite women in the Bible are sexual predators. That's what they are. You can just go through and study them and they're evil. And they are sexual predators in all of their stories. And yet Ruth, this Moabite, when Naomi returns, returns with her. And when she comes back, what she does in this story is she basically lives out the gospel in front of the people of Bethlehem and transforms forms that community. And, and it is just an incredible, and I taught on this three or four years ago, it is just an amazing story of grace. But the grace is offered by the Moabite. And even Boaz went, finally has to say, oh my, you are so beyond me who am I that you would show such grace? And that's really what God has done for us. If we go to the next slide, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
Now, what we have here is the, the good news we know is the gospel. When he says good news, that is the, the, the word gospel, the Greek word gospel. And it's good news of great joy. But then he says this interesting thing. He says, for, the angel says, for all the people. So this Jewish baby who is born the Messiah is not just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior of all people. Everyone who wishes to be saved can be saved through the baby born in that stable. And to be saved, one can only do it through Jesus. No other way. Now on the next slide, this goes back to that little design theme again. This is Luke 1, 51. I'm just going to connect, and, and especially with Jeff, what Jeff shared there. It says in that last song, this is Mary's Magnificat. And in here, when she's with um, her sister, her, her aunt, says Elizabeth says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, the song, the last song was talking about how he, the poor become rich, the hungry are fed. And this the great reversal that Jeff mentioned. But part of that great reversal, Mary just boldly says, is to bring down the powerful and the rich from their thrones. And that one we're not, we don't like as much. We like the poor being rich. We don't like it when it gets flipped the other way. But the reversal flips everything. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. And that's the kind of God we serve. And what I found in, in our serving of God, we, um, we like certain aspects of God. <laughs> But the other side of the coin sometimes is not as comfortable. For us, the gospel, because we know it and understand it, we understand it as good news of great joy. I, I think, though, in the world, it's not appreciated as that so much. I think a lot of people look at the gospel and they don't see it as good news, great joy. And I, and I think part of the reason is that somehow we, not just us, but I mean Christians in general, have not gotten it, made it clear that salvation is in Jesus. I think they tend to say salvation is in Christianity. 
And those are dramatically different things. Jesus didn't come to the earth to start Christianity. That's kind of a... He's, he came to die on the cross for our sins and for us to be his followers, and then it became a religion. And even with the story, I mean, with all that's going on today in Israel, Gaza, and all that kind of stuff, to say that the salvation is only through a Jewish baby born 2,000 years ago in this world is not appreciated, maybe despised by many, but the question then is, do we change the story to make it more acceptable? In some ways, you know, we've kind of turned Christmas into a nice sentimental story. But it is not that. It is not a nice sentimental story. It's a story that is surrounded by violence. And hatred. Or do the people telling the story need to change how we engage with the world? And I would say choose the latter, not the former. We don't need to change the story. We need to change the way we engage the world with the story. The next slide, verse 12 of Luke. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth. Oh, and let me just say this. The strips of cloth, I, I just read this this morning. We think, oh, no, he didn't have any clothes. No, this is just how they did it. They, every baby born was wrapped in strips of cloth in their day. I I don't know why, it's just the way they did it. Lying in a manger. And then I love this. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the angels say, look, a baby's been born. Go and you'll find it. Wrapped in a snuggly. And then right after those words are said, the sky opens up. And these shepherds see into heaven. Think, think about that. It's like, it, you know, it's one thing, okay, they went and they found it just like they said, but it was like heaven and earth just split. And that's exactly what happened. You go back to the garden. I've been studying Genesis 1, preparing for the class. And in the garden, what we had, the garden itself was the place, as you read through Genesis 1 and 2, the garden was the place where heaven and earth met, where it was a place for both God and man, humans. 
See, every other place below was not for God, was not for the divine, was for humans, and every other place above was not for humans. But there's this place where heaven and earth meet, where human and divine join, and that place we know is Jesus. So once this baby's born, all of a sudden, it's like this portal opened up for humanity to enter the heavenly realm. And it's the only way that portal could open up is through the birth and death of Jesus. And then at the end here, glory to God in highest heavens and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So, you know, we, we kind of do the peace on earth and mercy mile and all of that kind of stuff. But that peace is in Jesus. And it is peace with God because we know that from this moment on, oh, the world has never had violence or war. No, of course not. The reality is opposite. And it is to this day. I, I mean, we, we think that, oh, yeah, you know, after each war, I think, oh, they're never they're not going to do that again. And then they do it again and again and again. But there is peace with humans and God through Jesus. And God's favor rests because of Jesus on humans. Next slide. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the things, thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Next slide. So they hurried, oh, no, verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When we hear and understand the Christmas story as good news of great joy for all the people, when that grabs a hold of us, we cannot help, like these shepherds, but tell the story. It should just be, we are telling story that is good news of great joy for every person we encounter. Every individual that we encounter, we have good news of great joy for them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. you were born. You became one of us. 
that we might know your grace and forgiveness, that you might die on the cross for our sins. And we are so grateful that our sins have been wiped away and forgiven, that we, because of you, have peace with God. In your name we pray. Amen. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare in prayer. Let them that nature sing. Let them that nature sing. Let heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let man. We don't have to guess what God is like. We don't have to stare up at the sky and wonder, God, are you up there? Why don't you show yourself to us and let us see you? God already let us see who he is. He sent his son Jesus to earth. The heavenly father fully made himself known to us. Jesus was God, appeared in the flesh, he made this clear when he said to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is the good news of Christmas, that God has shown us what he is like in the person of his son. He left heaven's glory and came down to earth to be born of a virgin. All the strength, character, and power of the infinite God were found in the baby that Mary cradled in Bethlehem's manger. He was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and in him all things were created, all things hold together. And as we celebrate Jesus' birth, remembering who he is, in him we see the holiness, the grace, 
and the love of the eternal God. At Christmas, God did step out of heaven. And the manger was the first step in God's journey to Calvary's cross. <laughs>